You know, I stood next to uh, a grave yesterday. Military honors. One of our dear friends, as many of you know, Dan O'Gorman, yesterday as we committed him to the Lord. And just reminded, as I heard someone say recently, if you think death is losing, you don't understand how this game is played. Death does not win. There is a great hope. And there is a confidence in a God who is an awesome God. (laughs) He is an awesome God. Continue our series in Chasing Daylight, John 9, 4, 5. As long as it is day, we must do the works of Him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Urgency to this passage of Scripture. Chasing daylight. Over the last many weeks, we've talked about choices, time to initiate, the uncertainty of advancing, the uncertainty of chasing daylight, the risk Dr. Dan talked about so great last week. Today, it's time to advance. I'm going to preach today, if I can, part two of a sermon I started a few weeks ago on on April 15th, when we talked about uncertainty. And again, we're going to go back to 1 Samuel 14 as we talked that day, but give you and give you a little bit of a glimpse of a man who did not operate from uncertainty. Even though he had uncertainty, he did not allow uncertainty to stop him. I guess there's a better way to say that. Jonathan, the son of King Saul, but he's most remembered by befriending eventually King David. Well, it was before he was king. But Jonathan was an incredible soldier, and that's what we're going to talk about again today, who possessed an amazing faith, not in their power, not in his wisdom or power, but in the Lord. It was time to advance, so that's what we're going to pick it up today. I'll remind you a little bit, Israel's hiding among the caves. After being defeated by the Philistines, Saul's soldiers knew they were overmatched, and the word says they, as we read a few weeks ago, they quaked with fear. And we left Jonathan and, and his armor bearer, and, and we'll get just a reminder of this. Matter of fact, they, don't have, they only have two weapons left in the whole army. This is what's interesting. Two weapons. Now, they had made some maybe makeshift weapons out of, out of tools, farming tools. They only had two swords left. Saul had one. Jonathan had one. Okay, but here's where we're going to pick it up. First Samuel 1, and I'm going to skip down to 6 and 12, 6, 6 through 12, and then we will go from there. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Down to verse 6. Jonathan said to his young young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. 
We will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait until we come down, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, says the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling, crawling out of their holes. They were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Now you can read the, the, the lead into that story and you can read after that. It's a great, great passage of scripture, but it's where we're going to stop today. But in this defeated, depressed, and discouraging circumstance, Jonathan makes, makes a choice, and I love this part, to search for God. The Bible says, one day Jonathan said, let's go look for the Lord. Let's go look for the Lord. Now, two things there, if you circle in your Bible, whatever. One is, let's let us go. Go is the key word there in, in what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, last few weeks ago, I also mentioned it was this day, one day. It doesn't say it's a religious holiday. It doesn't say it's anything that's out of the ordinary. It's just one ordinary day, the Scripture says, that they make the decision that they're going to go look for the Lord. See, Jonathan decided on this day life was too precious to waste. He had been hiding in the caves with the rest of them probably. It doesn't say he was quaking with fear, but he was there with them. And Jonathan wasn't choosing to die that day. He wasn't suicidal. But he was choosing how he was going to live from that day forward. That's different. Let me ask you a question. I asked you a few weeks ago, and maybe you were not here. When do you make necessary changes in your life? When you reach a point where you realize, I've got to do something. I've got, I cannot stay where I am. See, Jonathan realized the uncertainty we talked about. He realized the risk that we talked about last week or the cost of moving forward, of advancing. But he also realized he could no longer stay where he was because the cost of that was even greater than staying, I mean, than going. Staying there was going to cost him more, and he knew it. He didn't understand all of it, I'm sure. But the cost, let me ask you, David, the cost of you staying where you are in your spiritual life, staying where you are in your, maybe even dysfunction. You may be asking the question today, what's it going to cost me to move forward? And what's my question to you, what's it going to cost you to stay where you are? There's risk either way. I just want to be, I want to risk chasing after God. I don't know about you. So Jonathan was moved with this divine, we believe, impulse or impression. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It's not always a word. It's not always even somebody saying, hey, I got a word from God. Sometimes there is just this impression on you that you know God is urging you. You don't understand it. You don't have all the answers. You just know in your knower, in the depths of your soul. You know. But what I love again, as we repeated many times, and I love in Manus' book on Chasing Daylight, or 
season your divine moment, whichever one you read in, is the way he underlines the word perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Have you ever been there? You don't have all the answers. You just have this impression and you just go, we're going for it. Just perhaps God will be with us. And I realize here, it may seem like he is doubting God here, but I don't think he's doubting God. I think he's just really saying, if it all comes true, it's in God's power, it's not in ours. (laughs) It's not in mine. See, Jonathan was convinced, and where many of us need to get to, I talk about it in, in some of the things we teach here, where is your awe meter? Talk about an awesome God. When I say all, I'm not saying A-L-L, not the southern. It is A-W-E, okay? It sounds like the other one, okay? But where is your awe meter? Where, if, you, if somebody asked you today, when you thought of God, if one is or zero, none, or one is oh, just, I think about him every now, or ten is like, oh, man, I'm blown away. Because I'm seeing him everywhere. I see his fingerprints everywhere. What would your awe meter be? Because Jonathan's, I think, was pretty high. I'd say Jonathan was a 10 plus, is what I would guess. He was convinced God could. He was convinced God could do the impossible. I'm sure as you read this, this one story here seems pretty irrational. We're gonna, I'm going to ask one guy to come with me. It seems irrational. We talked about it last week. It's a couple weeks ago. It seemed irrational that the armor bearer would want to go with him on a perhaps, right? You know, when you get it figured out, you let me know. On a perhaps, I don't think so. But the Bible, friends, is full of irrational people. Jonathan? Yeah. Noah? Elijah? David? Hosea? Moses? John the Baptist? Peter? Paul? They did not live normal lives. <laughs> they, left un- they lived uncommon lives, as we would say around here. Their actions were ludicrous and irrational if you take God out of the formula. You would be right. And as mentioned before, John, Jonathan was surrounded by a group of people there in the caves hiding that had legitimate reasons for staying right where they were. They were outmanned. They basically had no weapons. His choices, Jonathan's choices were left with a disobedient leader, which was his father, and soldiers who were quaking in fear. But Jonathan knew you cannot advance the kingdom of God with people who are in retreat. Let me say that again. You cannot advance the kingdom of God with people who are and live in retreat. So many people want to go back to the good old days. I have a feeling that the future is not a detour to the past. God is doing something new. Now, it may have some of the same principles, yes. I love the way Josiah took, or they did today, Awesome God. That's a song that if it was done in another church, the same way we did it 20 years ago, you'd go, well, these people had not advanced at all. 
But you walk in here today and it struck a chord with you. It took you back to some of you older in here to a time and a place that stood you next to, to, to some, some youth groups that stood you next to maybe a grandparent who you, who you cherished their life and who they were in the kingdom. It took you back to that place. Well, we just brought it back into 2018. But I loved when John, Jonathan's surrounded again by this armor bearer or surrounded, surrounded one, okay? What I'm going to say is surround yourself with these people. <laughs> An armor bearer. He said, do what you got to do, man. I'm with your heart and so go, go. Because when you're moving with God, you have to ad- move with advanced mentality. You move unless God tells you to stop. You move unless God tells you to wait, and sometimes He does, folks. So don't I want you to don't want you to not hear what I'm don't hear what I'm not saying. There are times God says wait. God says pause. God says not right now. And we know it. And we've got to have the courage enough to say that also. I'm just reminded that this week as I'm reading this, going, God, I know I'm preaching on advance, but I also got to realize that in advancing, sometimes God said, just wait. Just, just stay right where you are. Because we can get ahead of him, I guess, in some ways. But I love what Jonathan's focus, and I think as McManus says in his book, he says, Jonathan's focus was not what God's will was not what's God's will for my life, but how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? You know, our mission statement, our vision statement here at Renovation is to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where you're engaged and influential. To raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where we are engaged and influential, it is about advancing. Yes, today, and I'm going to talk to you about here in a few minutes, we've got a lot of things we need to get done here at Renovation to get us ready to advance. There are a lot of areas from first impressions, which is from our greeters to our ushers, and thank goodness, and and, and info desk, and we'll talk more about that in just a little bit to, to some different areas. But I'll tell you what, our whole purpose here is to get you out there where you already are, prepared to do what only God can do in your life, to be salt and light where you're engaged and influential. But we want to do it through spiritual transformation, not just formation, not just a formula, but through God doing what only he can do in your life, and we given the best tools that we know how to help you get there. That's what we're trying to do. Sometimes we take two steps back to move one step forward. I get that. And we, we, we wrestle with that at times, trying to get there. But Jonathan knew he had to go where God was working. God was not in the caves Ask you a few weeks ago, are you wanting to be a cave hider or a mountain climber? I love what Henry Blackaby says in his book, Experiencing God. He summarizes the principle of seeking the Lord with this statement. He said, you can't go with God and stay where you are. And he goes on to say, watch to see where God is working and join him. A few years ago, we did something called the Nehemiah Drive on a, on a Friday night we called Uncommon Weekend. And we went on a drive at about, it wasn't quite at midnight, it was actually around probably 6.30 or 7. 
But we went on a drive in about four or five vans, just driving through the city, just going this map here from, you see our logo up there, and we did the Biltmore Circle, and we went down to 36th and Thomas over to the VA, and you see all the, down through the zone, if you don't know what the zone is, uh, uh, 12th Avenue and Madison, I think that is, and then back by GCU, because we have so many students who come here from that area, but there's also another lot of work God is doing in the middle of all this. We're just trying to see, God, what are you up to, and how do we step into it? God, what are you doing? Because what did Nehemiah do? He went on that midnight ride, didn't he? He went out to see where the walls were broken. He went out to see, God, where is it broken down, and how do we move into that? And eventually, what did Nehemiah have to do with his people? He put a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other, right? That's what we want to do by helping you become soft and light where you're engaged and influential. Know how to fight and know how to work. Not trying to work your way into salvation. We've already got that. That's God's grace. We can't do that. But we do it because of his grace. We do it because of his love for us. Not, we don't do it to earn his love. We do it because of his love. Let's go over to the outpost in verse 6. Of those uncircumcised fellows, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. The story here is not about going picking a fight with an enemy. The story here is about going with God. Irvin McManus says in another place, says a quick survey of the modern church would lead you to believe that Christ's invitation was to come and listen instead of go. hear that? And Jesus was concerned that the church would not advance and be everything it was called to be. In Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus, the word says Jesus went through the, all the towns and villages teaching their, in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and believing and healing every disease and sickness. When the, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I love this. Jesus went. He advanced. He saw. He didn't just see like, oh, I see a bunch of people. No, he saw the people. Then he had compassion. See, for many of you, you'll never have compassion because you're not willing to go where people are. See, God will break your heart there. Just watching it on TV and eating your Fruit Loops at the same time, probably not going to see a disaster around the world, just going ahead and eating while you're doing it. I'm not saying I've done it too. The reality is you're probably not going to have your heart broken there. But when you go rub shoulders, when you hear their stories, all of a sudden God begins to break your heart for what breaks his heart. And if you're not careful, he'll tell you to do something about it. We'll talk about that more another day. What's interesting about this passage of Scripture, as I've mentioned to you before, David Platt, I'll get, don't put it up there yet. That Jesus doesn't instruct them to pray specifically for, for pray for laborers. He's telling them to pray for the church. Now listen to this, David Platt. I would have expected Jesus to say, you guys see the need, the harvest is plentiful, so pray for these people who are harassed and helpless. Pray for them. But that wasn't what he said. Jesus didn't say pray for those who are lost. Instead, he told the disciples to pray for the church. 
Why do you think Jesus would look at the crowds around him with all the deep needs, then turn to his disciples and tell them to pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. When Jesus looked at the harassed and helpless multitudes, apparently his concern was not that the lost would come to the Father. Instead, his concern was that his followers would not go to the lost. I saw a t-shirt one time that said, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much room. I still believe that's true. McManus says that living on the edge is where the epicenter of darkness and light meet. It's not the coolest thing. Living on the edge being, you know, that kind of deal is not just, let's do the coolest thing. No, it's where darkness and light meet. What if you begin to operate your life from this giant yes instead of a giant no? We talk about it around here, even as board members, whoever. I want, I, I want to be surrounded by people, armor bearers specifically, but board members or, or staff members who start with yes that are not yes people. They're not rubber stamp people. I don't mean that. The people who start with yes, we may end up at a no, but we start with a yes. What if? What if? Today you have an opportunity to sign up, to volunteer. And I know we're having after this today for our, for our children, or for our kids, Reno kids, uh, some training on that. And there are some restrictions we have to do. Obviously, this day, this day and age makes it even more heightened, but we're aware that we want to be wise how we go about this, especially our children and youth and, and, and different ones. But, but we want people to be involved in that. We need you from, like I said, first impressions. Huge area for us that we need more and more help from the, from the uh, info desk to the, to the greeters. To, uh, it, you don't realize that that alone could make the decision whether somebody stays at renovation. And even outside of that, even goes on to find Christ. How you, they respond to you for that first time could be that important. It's critical. And our children, as you well know, how critical, and I've mentioned many times from here, from our prayer ministry, we're continuing to find ways God can advance us. If you want to know that drive there that we've given, I don't know that God wants us exactly there, but I could show you that prayer drive someday, and, and you, could, you could go pray around it, drive it. That's what I've done many, many times. Our Alpha course to those who are far away from God or who want to know more in, in, in a... In a unique way of, present, of presenting it through the Alpha course. You may want to run that or may want to help in that. That's back there. Obviously, what happens in this room is really important, we believe, from, from our tech, from our worship team, uh, to just all kinds of different things. But one of the things we're doing is outreach as we advance is to our schools. I mean, uh, from, our, from our vans, we may help, need help there driving our vans, but van at this point, who knows? But, but just saying from tutoring, there's ways to be involved right here. And you say, I thought you said to go where you're engaged in influential. That is true, but we also need help here to prepare people to be able to go there. We need your help. I remember when I, after I was called to preach years ago, and, and uh, uh, I'd been a Christian eight months, so I'd already been helping with the ushering at this little Baptist church I was at, and we had a vestibule. I'd never even heard of a vestibule. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But vestibules is like a little entryway into before you go into the sanctuary. I mean, was, this one's like 10 by 10, wouldn't it, Jan, or 12 by 10. But what was cruel about the vestibule, vestibule, if you weren't an usher, you didn't know what all went on in there. Okay, you didn't know. Okay, 
Because what we did was, in there is where you figured out who was going to pray for the offering as you went in, okay? So what we did was, and, and this is right before, this is before I was called to preach, and I, like I said, I was called to preach eight months in, but they thought, you know, I'm a live body, so they, they'd already pulled me in way before that. And so how we would choose who was going to pray for the offering, you had to stand right down front, and, uh, and, you, and you just when it was time, one of you, whoever was chosen to pray. We had four plates, four offering plates. Three of them had red felt, one had gold felt. We would just put them down on the table and shuffle them, and whoever got the gold felt had to pray. <laughs> Seemed very biblical to us, so that's what we did. But, but as soon as I was called to preach, I had to pray every time because they said, you've got to practice, man. You've got to practice. So I just kept practicing. I didn't know any better. All I knew was to start showing up and start trying to help and start trying to move the kingdom forward. That's all I knew, really. I remember in 1990 when my friend Jack Martin said, hey, or 89, whenever it was, I don't know exactly, in that window, when he said, hey, could you come back here and help me corral? Because at that point I had not worked with youth. I'd, just, I'd preached some, but we'd moved to the Nazarene church there in Texarkana. And he said, hey, can you come back here and help us corral these 20, 25 kids where they don't have any help except somebody who doesn't want to be here, and that's not very fun to have. No, <laughs> Louise, uh, I love Louise, but she was just there to help. Okay. Uh, You know, I didn't know when he said, hey, will you come and help? I didn't know it would change my life and change my family's life. I didn't know that I would spend the next however many years now it's been trying to reach teenagers and young people. I didn't know. All I did was I didn't have a plan. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to show up. <laughs> the plan may be the last thing you get. Okay? Just volunteer. Then you may get a passion for something. Then you may need to practice it a little bit. Then you might get a plan. Some of you in here, you may say, well, I'm not called to that or that. Some of you are called to giving. Every one of us are called to giving. I believe every one of us is called to tithing. I believe every one of us are called to that. Some of you are called to give in a unique way, in a gifted way, where it's the Holy Spirit has given you the gift of giving. You may say, well, I don't do that, that, or that, but man, I can do this really well. I can make money. I can do this. And I'll just say this. I've, I've heard this before and from, the, from the great words of the principal from Greece. If you can't be an athlete, at least be an athletic supporter. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about that, okay? If you can't be a volunteer... Support those who are. I knew I was risking something by saying that, but I just thought it was funny. <laughs> Don't go watch the movie because it, it goes downhill from there. Okay. Some of you, you had a chance last week to grab a baptism response card. It's time to advance. Now, I looked out there. I can't find a baptism re response card anywhere in this building. <laughs> okay. But if not... If Allie has them, if not, just take one of these cards. I'm not going to let you out of here without... Just go find a contact card and put your information on it and just put baptism in big letters on it, and we'll get a hold of you. Okay? I don't know what God's telling you to do right now. But I love what T.D. Jake said years ago. just stuck with me. I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember have it word for word. He said, the problem is not where we want to go. We almost all have a picture of a better future or a desired future for ourselves and family and culture. He said, that's not the problem. He said, the problem is 
It's what we're not willing to go, let go of in order to get there. You see, a broken and fractured world cannot wait for us to choose the safe path. They can't wait for us to sit around and debate. Is it too risky? Or is it, oh, I don't know. Let's just freeze ourselves here, for, paralyze ourselves here. Because if we wait for someone else to take the risk, and I, when I'm saying now, I'm talking to you individually, not just as a church, to invite someone or go knock on that neighbor's door and just say, how can I help? Whatever that is, there's a great chance it'll never be taken because other people are frozen too. Josiah said earlier, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the absence of self. See, if, you're, if a church is full of members, you get an occasional missionary. But if your church is full of missionaries and influencers, the rest is just an address or geography issue. Most churches don't send missionaries because they don't have any. People normally don't just get suddenly called to missions. It is people who are on a mission, then God says, here's a new address. I'm going to repeat it. There is a big difference in people who are called to missions versus people who are already on a mission and just trying to figure out the geography. Advance. About 10 years ago, Josiah, you guys can come on down if you don't mind. About 10 years ago, it became very sobering to me to realize the major portion of the rest of my life, and maybe all of it, would be trying to prepare the next generation for life. And what I mean by that is, How are we going to hand this off? And we need to do it well. Man, we need to do it well. And it may not look like we've always done it. Matter of fact, it probably won't. And it makes some of us in here nervous saying that. Because this is all we've known. I hope you will embrace, I'm going to talk to you those older than 45 to 50 and up. I hope you will embrace that in the prime of your life, you begin the process of replacing yourself, giving, advancing. And for those younger, I remember when what Dora McManus, and again, I'm repeating a lot of his, his message, Battle Ready. He said, There comes a point, there comes a point in your life, young person. When I say young, I'm talking not only teenagers, but 20s and 30s. There comes a point in your life you have to get out of the village that has been protecting you all these years and take up your shield and take up your sword and move out. There's a time to start moving. See, I believe our future is not to be found in, the, in our preservation or protection of what we've always you know I've said before many times when we had nothing we were willing to risk everything but when we finally get something we begin to preserve and we began to protect and the very thing that God was doing was moving us the whole time and we don't want to lose it so we don't put it out there anymore 
We're in the investment business. People sometimes ask me on the plane, and I try to be funny with them. They say, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm in long-term and short-term investment. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. And sometimes it's hard to try to keep advancing. Sometimes you want to retreat. But we can't. Yeah, there's time to pause, and there's time to stay, and there's time to just shut it down for a season. But man, we've got to move forward. And it's with great uncertainty that we do that. But I know this. It's hard to move forward when you're hiding in a cave. Question to you this morning. Are you going to be a cave hider or a mountain climber? Jonathan said, let's go. I look into the mountain. My hope is there. My hope is not in those caves. My hope is advancing. And perhaps, <laughs> and that scares the daylights out of us, perhaps the Lord will be with us.